Hello and welcome to another Comedian's Interview for my blog A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill and my blog describes my experiences of watching over 800 comedians and counting over the last 46 years. Please welcome my guest today who is the wonderful Lauren Patterson. Hello! Yes! Hello! <laughs> How are you? Very good, thank you. How are you? Lovely to see you and thank you so much for doing this. Anytime, anytime. Thank you. Um, we're going to talk about your comedy career and I'd like to go way back to the start and ask you how did you become a comedian in the first place? So I think I became a comedian by accident. Right. <laughs> like I meet people now, sort of like especially especially when I moved to London, and I would like go open mic gigs, and there would be like people there who were on their like third gig, but were like, I want to be on TV, I want to be a comedian. And I was like, whoa, like good for you, but that wasn't my path at all because I was like, well, I did my first gig when I was fifteen because I was in a, a drama group and they started like a comedy course for right. the kids. So I did that and I loved it. I really, really loved it. And that like sort of that was the bulk, like, you know, when people get bitten by the bug. Yeah. So then I would spend all my pocket money and all my Christmas money and my birthday money on going to see comedians. So I would always be like the youngest person in the venue. Like everybody else would be so much older. But I was like, oh, wow, I love this thing. This is amazing. Yeah. And then when I was 18, I thought, well, I want to do it like properly. I want to have a, well, not properly. I didn't realize I could do it for a job, but I was like, I want to do this thing again. Um, so I signed up for So You Think You're Funny, which right. was a competition. Yeah. But the only reason I signed up for that was because um, I would like, I was obsessive about comedians and I would look up all my favorite people and I noticed a lot of them had done this competition. And I was like, cool, I'll enter that then. Yeah. That was my first proper gig. So I'd done like a couple of gigs as a kid. My first gig was just the heats for this competition because I was like, oh, well, I need a gig. That's a gig. Right. And I got through to the semi-final. Congratulations. And I remember thinking, oh, God, I don't know. I, I was that dickhead who everyone's like, she's done one gig and she's got through. But like, I, I didn't enter it thinking I would progress. I was a bit like, oh, God, I just did it for stage time. I didn't do it thinking I would go through. Right. So I got the semi-final finals but I didn't get in the finals but I'm really grateful for it because because I knew I had the semi-finals coming up I was like well I need to do another gig I need yeah. to do some more gigs so I started actively I think I got in touch with like the stand in Newcastle would you give me five minutes and someone else was running a gig in a pub and they were like we'll give you some time then I came back from doing so you think you're funny and I was like you know what I really like this I want to keep doing it. So I kept doing like gigs in Newcastle and travel a little bit further afield. And then I think it was when I maybe had like my first paid weekend at the stand. One of the other acts was like, you do know you are good enough to do this properly. And I was like, what do you mean do this properly? And he was like, for a living. And I'd never made that connection. Like, in because obviously I was so young in my head, there was your comedians on the telly and they were the ones who did it for a job. And I thought everybody who you saw in the comedy clubs was just doing it for fun. Right. I didn't realise that that is a career in itself. And I was like, you're telling me that I can get paid to do this. Like I could do this for a job. And people were like, yeah, Lauren, you're really good at it. So I was probably in about maybe my second year of uni at this point. 
And I was like, oh, maybe coming up to my second year of uni, I was like, you know what? I'm really going to work hard at this. I do want to do this. I think that's now when a lot of people are like, oh, but you've done all this and you're still so young. I'm like, yeah, but started young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting that uh, one of your first gigs was at the stand in Newcastle because I know it well because my home city is Carlisle. So it's only yes, so, yeah. so Newcastle's only fifty miles away, and and of course the stand have got um, a number of comedy venues around the country, haven't they? The most famous ones in Edinburgh, for the Fringe. But uh, yeah, it must be right, a good yeah. run to have gained experience doing. Did did you play there quite a bit? Yeah, quite a bit, and like especially their red roll night, so their right. open mic new act, well not open mic, like new material new act night that sells out. So you're gigging in front of three hundred people. Like, what better way to learn to be a comic than put you in front of a room full of people? But obviously the tickets are cheap. I think they're three pound now because times are more expensive. But like back when I first started, it was two pound. Right. So that's why it sells out because everyone's getting to see. 10 comics for two quid quid, and even if half of them are shit you've still seen five acts for two quid like it's and because they have a exactly they'll be like a professional mc and a professional headliner so even if even by some horrible stroke of luck every act you saw was terrible the mc and the headliner are pro acts so you're gonna at least get something for your money but obviously it never happens that bloody everybody's bad um and it's just such a good way of yeah. It's like a baptism as a fire because once, especially like, I found the opposite when I moved to London and was doing open mic gigs, you're gigging in front of four people and the other acts and you just think, but how can you ever really get like a true feeling of what it's like if you're just gigging in front of like so few people, yeah. whereas because you're gigging in front of like so many people, it's good for nerves because if that's one of your first gigs, it's, you know... You're probably then when you start doing paid gigs, your audience number will drop. <laughs> well, three hundred. <laughs> you might just be giving them a hundred. Is enormous to play, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, when it's like full, it is just so amazing, and I just feel very lucky to have started somewhere where, like, yeah, maybe we don't have a massive comedy scene in like Newcastle. I know, like, a, a lot of London acts will be like, oh yeah, but it's great to start here yeah, because you can gig every night of the week, and you can. I totally get that, and I get the benefits of that. But to start in a city that just has one main comedy club that will champion you and back you and really help get you on that path, I feel very, very grateful for. I owe owe a lot to the stand. That's brilliant. That's that's great because um, I've I've been working in in London for 29 years now. And of course, there was when I came down here, there was everywhere. You could just go to any pub, and there'd be a comedy night on. Did you did you go did you go through all that like you say when you came down to London? You did your five minute spots with friends and things. Yeah, that was part of the reason I wanted to move to London. I was like, I enjoy living up north, and I'm getting enough gigs, but I was having to travel quite a lot, so I was say like I would have to go to Edinburgh for the stand or Glasgow or maybe I would go to like Manchester for a new act night and it was a lot of travel and I thought you know what why don't I just move to London for a bit and I'm still prepared to travel and do all those gigs but to base myself in a city where there's such a big comedy scene I think will be really good for us so I moved down and I was like semi-pro when I moved down I was already doing like Catherine Ryan's tour support I was doing like paid weekends at the stand 
But nobody cared about that in London. None of the promoters cared. It was very much like, cool, bottom of the pile. Like, you, like it doesn't unless you're on telly or like doing paid gigs buddy everywhere it didn't matter so I happily turned up and did the open mic night I did the bringer gigs I like I just wanted to gig as much as possible and I remember putting on Facebook one night I needed someone to be me bringer for a gig I needed someone to come with us people were kicking off at us they were like why are you doing a bringer gig why are you doing that and I said because I have moved here to get better at comedy yes. I have a free night I want to gig and if it's the choice between doing a bringer gig and getting a stage time or not doing any gig, I will do the bringer gig because I have moved here to gig and to work and that's what I'm going to do. And like, obviously, I wanted to get to a point quite quickly where I didn't have to do those gigs and I did, but still when I moved down, I was very much like, no gig is like too too bad for us sort of thing. If it's a, I don't care if it's a like not a great gig or if there's only going to be a handful of people there. I was like, I want the stage time. I want, that's how you get to be a better act by just doing all these gigs and really like, and I think that's why I had a good Edinburgh because I was a bit bulletproof. Yeah, like yeah. I've done yeah, no, no, any kind exactly. of gig you can imagine, I've done it. <laughs> The more, the more experience you get at doing it, the better you are, whether it's a good or a bad gig. I think you have to have the, the, the difficult gigs to have, to make yourself a better comedian. Yeah. And as well, it's like the false sense of security. If you have like loads of good gigs in a row when you first start, I'm not saying this was me, but like, I know this can happen. People are like, oh, well, I'm obviously like a prodigy. I'm so good at this. I've never had a bad gig. And then they have the one bad one and they're like, they can't deal with it. Yeah. And it's like, it really sort of throws them. And I'm like, but just because you had a bad gig doesn't mean you're a bad act. But like, you can learn just as much from those bad gigs. Oh, very much than so, you can yeah. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, did you ever find it difficult at all to break into comedy? I did. Uh, and like, I'm in a weird position where I still don't feel like as an actor I've properly broken in, which right. there's a really good quote and I don't know who... Can you get off my sleeve, dog? Yeah. <laughs> Dog's pulling at it. It's okay. um, it's and it's like, I can't remember who said this. But it's um, something about like, it's very easy to sit where you are and not sort of be satisfied with where you are. And then you don't realize that say three years ago, you would have killed to be in this position. Yeah. So I get so like, why last feel like I've properly broken through? I know me saying that would infuriate so many actors who I say a few rungs behind me on the ladder because they'd be like, but you've done this and you've done this and you've done this. So I have to remind myself quite a lot. Yeah, I haven't fully, you know, I'm not a TV regular, I'm not a touring comic, I'm not a household name, you know, most people, well, <laughs> most people won't know who I am, but compared to three years ago, the things I've done are like amazing and incredible, but I think the hardest thing I found to break through was just being based up north. I think right. a lot of things are very like, not even, like, we all know that the sort of TV industry is quite London-centric, but even comedy competitions. Right. So, you know, in these initial stages, the heats are all over the country, as you progress, maybe like the semi-finals are all in Manchester. So you're like, cool, well, I'll travel to Manchester, that's yeah. fine. And then the finals will be in London. But some of these competitions have like five or six bloody rounds before you get to the final. So you'll do like your heat and say Newcastle, and then you'll have travel to London like three or four times to do the next stages of these competitions. And you think, well, if you're an act based in London, that's not a lot of expense for you. That's jumping on a tube. Yeah. But if you're an act based outside of London, you're paying however much to come down on a train every time. And 
Like, I think there's a lot of talk about the industry being London-centric in terms of telly, but I don't think people realise just so many other things as well. Like, course, there was yeah. one comedy competition where there were yeah. 20-odd heats in London or something, which I get, you know, London's a big place, there's going to be a lot of comics applying from London, but then there was, like, one heat up north, and I was like, but the north isn't just Manchester. That yeah. means if you only put one northern heat, you've got everybody from Newcastle in the northeast would have to travel to Manchester. Yeah. Everyone from Manchester would have to travel to Manchester. The Midlands never get a bloody look in, so they've got to pick whether they're north or south. <laughs> like, so I think that's the hardest, which is why I moved to London. Right. I knew it would never be permanent. I was like, I don't want to permanently move. Sorry, I um, I was like, but as a temporary thing, I think moving to London is going to be a good decision. Yes, um, I think but then flip so. side, uh, now I've left. Cer certainly, um, yeah, cer certainly for me, um, I uh, I have all the comedy I need in London. I can go every night if I want to. But when I when I go yeah. back to Carlisle and I go back quite a bit, it's interesting to see even there how big comedy is becoming. They've now got two or three venues. They have regular comedy nights. They get big stars there. And it's great to see. And I go, I go to Manchester regularly and Newcastle regularly. I go to the Edinburgh Fringe every year. And it's it's wonderful to see how it's developing. And I, and I think um, it's now a universal thing, certainly in Britain. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Like, it used to be maybe not so much for comedy. Maybe this is more of a music thing. But you know, when someone would announce, like, a national tour, and it would be like a lot of southern dates and then Manchester, Glasgow. But I feel like now, especially like when you look at comedy, like if you look at someone's tour poster, they go bloody everywhere, yeah. like everywhere, which proves that there is such a big appetite for it. And I love it. It's brilliant. So I do I. It. So do I. That's that's why my blog appeared. Because <laughs> it's like every day, really, really with me. Um, <laughs> Do you suffer from any nerves before going on stage? And how do you cope with I them? get, I get really, well, like say if it's a gig like The Stand, like that's a gig I'm so comfortable with. I'd feel like a little bit nervous, but nothing too bad. Right. But the, the comedy store still get really nervous at. Right. And there's just something about, you're in the green room of the comedy store. It's quite like a little narrow green room and the door, is there and that's the door you open and you literally take a little step and you're onto the stage kind of thing and there's just something about being stood behind that door with your hand on the handle waiting to hear your name so you can come through wow. and obviously like the calibre to do a store weekend and you know they're all in the green room and some of them might be watching you on the screen and you just feel your heart thumping because I feel like for a lot of comics me included the comedy store is the one you want to get booked at for like yeah, yeah. people who've come up through the like me and comics who really care about those circuit gigs which i do like the, the store is the pinnacle so there's just something about that gig and i spoke to some other acts about this who are like way further up the ladder than me and they all said the same thing they were like because you work so hard to get to play the store it's almost like those nerves never go away because there's like a little insecure part of you being like don't fuck it up the store don't <laughs> well 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 once you have played it you've that's it you know you you've you've reached a pinnacle in your career because it is um certainly when i first came down to london that was one of the main places i went to the on 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 the yeah. bill was um john maloney steve he emceed it steve gribbin phil jupiter's hattie hayridge 
and the top of the the top of the bill was someone called Charles Fleischer, who had all these funny voices, mm -hmm. and he was never heard of again because he went to Hollywood and he voiced Roger Rabbit. So, <laughs> so it was it was amazing to see him, but. Uh, that's the that's the magic of the place. There is, the, the the atmosphere in there is incredible, and if oh, and, and if you can do if you can conquer that with the nerves, then you know that then good, yeah. really good luck to you. Um, and I think like twenty three or twenty four right. when I got my first like full paid weekend at the stand and at the store, and I remember thinking. God, like, not that you want to like blow your own trumpet, but I was like, I've done this by 20. So anytime I would have a moment of self-doubt, I'd be like, you are 24 years wow. old and you are playing the store, Lauren. You just, any time that you ever feel like you're not good enough or like you don't know if you can do it, you just remember you got to play the store by the time you were 24. Like just doesn't get hold any that, better than hold that. that with you. <laughs> it does not get any better than that. Absolutely. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> Let's move on to Edinburgh. Um, your your debut Edinburgh Fringe show was called Lady Muck in 2017. What was your first Edinburgh festival like? Um, so I love, especially being like from Newcastle, Edinburgh's not far. Edinburgh, yeah. You can get from Newcastle to Edinburgh quickly. You can get from like where I lived in London to most other places in London. <laughs> like madness. So I went up for the first time to do a play with like, because uh, I did like a drama degree. So me and some mates went and did a play and that was the year I did. So you think, no, so you think funny was the year before. So that was like the year after. Right. And then I went up and did like a two-hander with a guy who I'd met. He was from London, but I'd met him at a red row at the stand. Right. So me and him did like a two-hander. And the following year, I did a three-hander with um, some people from Newcastle. And then I did like a little work in progress thing because I was like, well, I want to do my own show, but I don't know if I'm quite ready to hold that amount of time on my own. So I'll do a work in progress. I'll do like 40 minutes. And after that, I was like, yeah, I'm ready. Like, I'm so, I want to do the hour. I want like the, the glory you get from like, this is my show. I'm not sharing it. So yeah, I did that in yeah. 2017. And I, I get a lot of people being like, you must have known it was going to go well. Nah. I knew I had a good show, hand on heart. I knew I had a good show and I knew I was damn proud of it. But I didn't think an act like me would get that level of attention in Edinburgh because right. um, I was like a working girl. I was a girl from Newcastle and I was a girl who had come up through the circuit. That's how I'd cut my teeth and that's how I'd come up through the circuit, doing the clubs every weekend, not even just the weekend, like most nights of the week I was gigging. Like I was really, really slogging. I've done the entire circuit. Like I was really putting the graft in and I don't think... You always necessarily see like circuit acts get that sort of level of attention in Edinburgh kind of thing. Right. Um. So I wasn't. I knew I had a good show, but I was like, I don't think I'll get. I don't think I'll get the um the broadsheet newspaper coverage. They're not going to go for because I wasn't saying anything smart, and I wasn't. Well, that, no, that's doing myself a disservice. But you know, I wasn't like some people do choose to tackle very clever topics or make yeah. big pertinent points, and I wasn't doing that. That wasn't me. Right. sheets aren't going to care about just chatting about me life. That's what it was. And it was my, I know that some people go up to Edinburgh and they're like, eh, as long as it's ready by the end of the month. And I was like, I'm spending all this money to be here. My show is going to be ready for day one. Yeah. Um, so PR was like, when do you want press to come in? I said, well, let us have the, the two preview days. What's that like? 
Wednesday, Thursday, I was like, but um, but by like Friday, yeah, cool. The, the the press can come in, get them in early. Don't care, my show's ready. Like, sorry, but if people are paying ten quid to see me, yeah, it, it's gonna be like I felt so bad at the thought of possibly doing a show that wasn't like as good as it should be on day one. Um, and I think I had a reviewer in very very early doors. So obviously the festival starts properly on what, the Friday, yeah. and I think a review came out on maybe the the Tuesday and it was five stars from the list wow. um, and when they tweeted it they our first it was their first five star review for a comedian at the festival because obviously it was like what day three or something did it was very early that's fantastic and there was like this more almost feel like every comics head just go and like turn a look at this and suddenly I just had this because I think again people knew I was a good comic I was a good club comic yeah. had a good 10 minutes at the time I don't know if I was doing 20s but you know maybe I'd done the odd 20 and had like a decent enough 20 but I don't think people knew I could tackle a show an right. hour and I was like well, don't underestimate us you right Ralph? you having a pop? are you barking? <laughs> <He's probably nothing. laughs> um, but even like me to a comic said to us like obviously we knew you were a good comic but yeah. the long we've ever seen you gig for is 15-20 minutes in a set we've not seen what you can do in an hour and I was like but yeah I wasn't doing a set I was doing a show and there's a difference exactly, like yeah, and if yeah, there's yeah. one thing a drama student can do it's put um, and just suddenly it was mad because my show started selling out like on the day so I'd wake up in the morning I'd have a text and they'd be like your show sold out today and I'd be like amazing and then suddenly it would be tomorrow's show would already be sold out and then very quickly it became not just tomorrow's show but the day after show. I was watching on you know on like the little fringe website on the yeah, calendar yeah, yeah, I was yeah. watching these dates go red and I think like maybe towards the end of the first week my show was also sold out for like the entire following week and I was like genuinely what is happening like this is like the debut year that you dream of but it doesn't happen and then it was two weeks into the festival and it was so the halfway point and i had me day off the following day like the only day off of the fringe and i checked the website and I, I was with my friend tom horton and i went tom it's all sold out and he was like what and i turned my phone around and every square was red i was like i've sold out wow. the whole bloody month well done you that's brilliant just mad and it was just such a lovely month where I felt like because I felt like in comedy and I still feel a little bit like this now but like more so I felt it at the time that I was always the bridesmaid but never the bride right. so I got to the competition finals but I never won um competition finals but I never placed and let's say I would smash a gig uh, on the circuit but I wouldn't be the one who got like you know like other acts do this really well-meaning thing where they'll hype up other acts oh i saw this act tonight and they were great you should book them you should do it i was never that act who got hyped up and i was like so i always felt a little bit like maybe underrated yeah and it was just this lovely moment where i was like see lauren you can do it you can think, do it you I are think, good i think you're being very hard on yourself because whenever i've seen you the wonderful thing about your act is how down to earth you are and everybody who wants to be a comedian should be able to express what they want and you do that in such an endearing mm -hmm. way and i'm always ending up laughing at you and and with my big laugh it that can only be a good thing <laughs> so yeah don't 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 ever put yourself down because you are a terrific comedian 
that's the thing I'd always known or felt that I was a good act but you know when you feel like you're not getting that like wider attention that's yeah. like well that's fine I'm happy to just do the circuit enjoy doing it but I was like I wish like people would talk about me like that and I wish people would believe me like that and I wish I wish people would get behind me like that and then suddenly I had this month and it felt like everybody then suddenly it was almost like I'd known all along what I could do and it took that Edinburgh show for other people to see what I could do right. and I was like see I can do it I, exactly. I just needed people to yeah. bloody sit in <laughs> it is um, in in 2017, you were nominated for Best Newcomer at, at Edinburgh and also mm -hmm. nominated for the Amused Moose Best Show. Tell me mm -hmm. more about these experiences. Getting the Newcomer nomination was mad. And as well, people were like, well, you must have expected it. Your show sold out every day. You were getting four and five-star reviews. You must have expected it. And I was like, no, because one of my favourite comics, Louisa Omelin, had written two amazing shows, Beyonce, and uh, What Would Beyonce Do? And Am I Right Ladies? Neither of those shows got any awards wow. recognition. They were not nominated. Those shows sold out every night. People were queuing down the street to get in. She was getting four or five star reviews. I was like, just because your show is smashing it with the audiences and even smashing it with the press, like yes. getting good reviews, doesn't mean the awards panel are also gonna give you that recognition. So I was like, I'm, I never for a second thought or allowed myself to think just because it's going well, that must mean I'm automatically going to get nominated. And the whole time I said, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, I can't be sad. How could I be sad when I've had the run that I've had? Yeah. And I remember the day that the nomination get like announced, my agent took us for breakfast. And like looking back with the benefit of hindsight, she obviously wanted to distract us, but I was just like, mm, breakfast, yes, please. <laughs> so I had connection in my head we were sat having breakfast and then eventually she brought it up and she was like how do you feel about today and I was like what's today and she was like what's the, the nominations day and I was like oh fuck it is isn't it and I said the same to her I went if it happens it is glorious I went if it doesn't happen I've achieved so my goals for that festival were to sell out me two for one days to get a four-star review and to sell out a weekend that was what I wanted going into that festival and I was like I've achieved so much more than that how could I be upset and she was like I think it's a really good attitude to have and then I phone rang and she was like oh I'll just be a second again didn't even make the connection and off she went and then she come back and her face was beaming and she was like you've done it you've got the nomination wow so I started crying in the middle of this bloody cafe but it's like um, three o'clock so you can't tell anyone till three o'clock and I took that so seriously I didn't even tell my mom and dad so then like me PR and me agent took us for a drink, but obviously this is like what, midday maybe? And I had me show at seven. So I was like, well, I can't get pissed. I can't. <laughs> 5.45 me show was, I was like, I've got a show in fact. Um, and that sort of took what up till about three o'clock and at 2.59 or something, I texted my mum and dad and I was like, I've done it. I've only gone and done it. And then I remember when it got announced at three o'clock, like my phone just went mental and it was a mix of like people congratulating us and also people being like obviously congratulations but you knew you were going to get this didn't you and I was like genuinely no like and as well how awkward would it have been because you see this happen with act who go yeah I'm going to get it I'm going to get nominated of course I'm look at me short look at the reviews I'm going to get nominated and then they don't and yeah. they got it so I was like well like you said before I'm very humble <laughs> and I was like a, I'm never going to allow that thought across my mind so that was it's such a lovely success story though because to get nominated and and to think that 
you might not have got nominated. It's it's wonderful when you do. Um, I I spend my holidays at Edinburgh. I go there every year, and uh, I see about fifty shows in a week, mm -hmm. and it's just incredible. The atmosphere. Uh, yeah. It's 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 just an extraordinary experience and highly recommended. Um, so your show was oh. Lady Muck, your solo show. How did it come about? Where did you get the idea from it? How do you get your ideas and, and how do you go about your writing process? Originally, when I did the work in progress, I think a lot of people thought I would keep that 40 minutes and add 10 minutes on. That was never my intention. And when I got to the end of that month, I was like, oh, I'm bored of all this material. It was material about being at uni and being a student, but I wasn't those things anymore. I'd just graduated from my master's. Like, obviously, I was ready to move to London. I think I just, yeah, was just about to move to London. I was like, none of this material is relevant anymore. And it was about, like, living with me ex and my current boyfriend. And even then, I was like, but I've moved out of that house. And I was like, yeah, I'm bored of all this material. Um, but I called the show Lady Muck because of my original idea when I came back I was like, I'm going to scrap all that, I'm going to write brand new material, like debut hour, new stuff, bang, I'm going to work really hard. And I think my show is going to be about like not feeling like I'm very good at being a woman. Like I feel like a bit of like, not a boy in a girl's body or anything, um, but I'm, I'm not very ladylike. That was the thing. Yeah, and yeah, I was going to yeah. write sort of being a bad woman, that kind of thing. And I'm, I'm a, am I a bad woman sort of thing just because I don't do this and do that. So that was going to be the whole, how I'm not very good at being feminine and girly and all this stuff. So that's why it was called Lady Muck. And that was my idea. And then um, around the sort of, it got into like the new year and I was like, I think that's boring. Like, I'm not sure. And I had this idea about tracking down my ex-boyfriends because at the time I had like, uh, I was going out with a boy at the time and then I had sort of like um, two, the ex who I'd lived with and like another ex, the guy who ghosted us. And I was sort of like, maybe that, because a lot of my material had been about living with the ex and the current boyfriends. And I was like, that's the stuff I like writing about. And I was like, oh, maybe I write the show about tracking down all my ex-boyfriends, finding out what I did wrong um, and how I can sort of become a better, better person. So I was like, it's kind of taken that not being a good woman um, but sort of like twisting it a bit. I started like doing this, but then I broke up with the boy and I was a bit like, oh, but I don't really want to. It was a very sad breakup because we didn't break up because we didn't love each other anymore. I broke up with him because I was living in London. I didn't think it was fair. And I decided straight away, I was like, I can't write about this breakup yet because one, too soon. One's not funny, two, roll. There's nothing funny in this breakup. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I'm not going to break up directly, but I like this idea of like tracking down the exes and stuff. And I kept mentioning this guy who ghosted us, and eventually people were like, that is the story. That is the, that's the interesting thing. So when I first started doing the previews, I would talk about how I just had a breakup um, and how it made us think about like me other breakups and maybe what I did wrong, what I could do better, like how to not do these things again, how to like improve as a person. But then I would not mention this boy again and spend the rest of the hour talking about this one who ghosted us. And I think I was about three or four previews in before like, I can't remember if it was me director or another comic was like, you are so truthful, Lauren, and you need to learn as a comic that you don't always have to tell 100% the truth. Yeah, yeah, you don't need yeah. to mention the boy with you can sort of leave him out of it because he's added nothing to this story you're sort of saying you broke up with them and then not bringing them up again they were like just sort of twist those sort of timelines together so there's not a weird like gap in your story make it 
as if it's about one person, but you're like, that had happened over that course of time. But yeah. the story you're telling is about this guy who ghosted you and for him. So then that's when I started doing that and sort of leaving the other boy out of it, but just sort of making out like, sort of weaving his timeline of relationship into that relationship sort of thing. Um, and it just idea. became such a better show. Yeah, yeah. It's a really oh. good idea. Um, how, how do you get your ideas for a new routines or new shows or anything like this? Like for a routine, um, I like I'll jot everything down in my phone. So something like offhand funny will happen. Right. So say like for example, uh, the latest one I've written down that I'll probably turn into a bit is obviously like pandemic date and can't meet people. Yeah. And this guy was on about how he um like rings. I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna watch Lord of the Rings and then like impress him that I've watched it kind of thing. Three fucking hours, Rich. I sat and watched Lord of the Rings and then thought I could have googled it. It's a pandemic. Like, it's not like he's here with us and I've got to sit and be like, this is a real problem. I was like, I could have Googled the bloody plot. So, like, after that, I was like, see, that's a funny little story. That's great. Now yeah. I've got to turn that story into um, And then what I'd probably do is write that into a bit and then I might write another bit about pandemic dating and then I would join those two bits together, like a little jigsaw. And then I might think, oh, well, what's the material I've already got about, like, relationships? Oh, the stuff about me ex. So tell you what, I'll do the stuff that's tried and tested about me ex. And then I'll, that's a nice little segue to, oh, now I'm dating in a pandemic. Sort of segue into that. And then I've got these little bits. And I very much, like, join it all together. Like, I like to look at what I've already got and what I'm, my new ideas and how those things will feed into each other and, like, how I can weave those in so that when I do start doing it in the clubs, you're not just like dropping a new bit in with no safety net around it. You're like, cool, I'm doing a bit that I've been doing for a little while. I know this bit works. This links up nicely to me new bit, drop that in. And then I've got another tried and tested bit after. And then eventually that slightly weaker bit in the middle will become as strong as your other bits. And it's all seamless. <laughs> and, 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 and of course doing it your way, um, it will my guess would be it's easier to remember as you link it all through oh definitely yeah definitely like especially if you're sort of like just drip feeding in one little new bit at a time yeah. and joining the material always is quite like anecdotal as well and i like it to make sense and to link up and it, like it just makes it so much easier to remember if you're like right i'm going from this to this to this to this yeah yeah, yeah. um as you said earlier, you've supported on separate tours amongst others Catherine Ryan, Jason Manford, yeah. Kerry Godleyman, Stuart Francis and Dane Baptiste. Tell me more about yeah. this. Tell me more about being a support act. Did, did you get a lot out of doing it? It must have been a good experience. Yes. Like especially when I was supporting Catherine Ryan. Um, so that all kind of came about. Like I didn't didn't even have an agent when I was supporting Catherine Ryan. Wow. I was still at uni. I was like twenty one when I did my first tour support for her. And I remember at the time I felt a bit weird how I dressed for gigs because my kind of style is I like to wear say like a dress and boots or like a skirt and a nice top and boots. It's it's girly but it's not girly at the same time. Like that's always been like my hair might be a bit scruffy but I like my makeup to be nice. Like it's yes, sort of that weird mash. Yeah. Really, but it's not like that kind of thing um but when on stage i never really knew how to dress and i didn't want to especially as like a woman on stage you're anxious of like well if i go out dressed up all nicely are people just going to be looking at my body rather than what i say right. so i would always like cover up it would be like that leggings leather jacket 
And I was so chuffed when I got the Catherine support because I was oh my God, she dresses beautifully on stage. I can dress up nice for this gig. Yeah. I remember what I wore. I wore like a flowery dress that I had, pair of Converse, had like my makeup all nice. And I even said to her on the night, oh, I'm so happy I got to support you because I've been able to like dress how I want. Like this is how I'd love to dress for gigs. And she was like, well, why can't you dress like that for gigs? And I was like, yeah, well, like there's been a couple of times where I've wore a dress and some of the lads have made comments like, mm, who are you trying to impress? Mm, who are you trying to flirt with? And all this and stuff. And she went, you are at work. And if you want to dress up for work, you dress up for work. And it was like this moment, these pieces are just, and I was like, oh my God, yes, I am at work and I can choose my uniform. So of course I'm going to, so I've had like a few variations of how I dress over the years, but that was the moment where I was like, if I want to come to a gig in a skirt or in a dress, like, of course I can, like that is entirely up to me. So I went through like a phase of always like having a skirt or a dress for a gig until I moved to London. And I was a bit like, sometimes it is a bit of a, like it's a bit awkward if you're in literally like a tiny little room above a pub and you're yeah. there and like, I felt a bit overdressed in gigs. And I was like, right, okay, new rule. If it's a like a, a club gig or a weekend gig, you make the effort, you dress nice, but you don't have to feel the pressure to dress up as much if it's just yeah. like a little gig through the week or whatever. You don't have to, like, you dress how you want, Lauren, and that's fine. So I became much more comfortable with that. So that's like, I know that you might not expect that that would be something that I gained from doing support act, but just this sort of more confidence in my identity as a performer, because who else to teach you that but Catherine fucking Ryan? Like, who else well, to exactly. teach you how if to own your bar on stage? If you've got a um, more experienced comedian, again, it's all down to experience. The more you do, the more you, the more they can teach you. And that's why I asked you the question about with, with, with touring with all the other um, named comedians and you're not necessarily starting out, but you're newish to it, even although you've got your good act. Um, it is, again, all experience and confidence. Yeah, I'm just moving the dogs. He's chewing a poster. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> the dog's an absolute star. Well, yeah, like he's just, <laughs> he's just had a haircut, right? And now he's like, just like what I was saying, he's got this new lease of confidence. And he's like, look at me, I'm so cute. And I'm like, stop it. Stop being he's great. <laughs> But it is. It's all. We talk. We talk about the dog's confidence. It's all. It's all down to to uh, confidence and experience. Being a comedian with all the bigger names, you know, that that that, that will give you the experience of doing it. And the thing about doing support as well is, you you learn very quickly. They are not here to see you. They are not. <laughs> they do not. They. Like, if, I bet you, if you surveyed the whole room and said, would you rather that the act you've booked to see does an extra 10 minutes or you get a support act? They would nearly all say they don't want a support act. Like, so it's a really good thing to learn that, like, they are not there to see you. So you have to be good. You have to impress them. You have to win them over because once booked to see the comedy store or the stand, yeah, they're not there to see you, but they are there to see a mixed night of comedy. They are expecting different acts and stuff. Whereas when they book to see Catherine Ryan, Dame Baptiste, Jason Manford, that is who they want to see. You are just an inconvenience. <laughs> so it's I a don't know, I don't know whether that's the right word because because from my point of view, you see, I've I've seen so many. I've seen eight hundred odd, and I can with yeah with with friends of mine, 
I can recommend a really good bill of comedians that they've never heard of, but know yeah. that they're going to enjoy <laughs> two or three or four of them. You know, comedy is very, yeah. very subjective, but but I've I've got a very That's judge cool. good good judge of character as to what I believe folk will enjoy. Yeah. And eight times out of ten, they come back and say that was a great night, Rich. Thank you very much. You know. Thing and like when I used to go see like save up all my money and go see like Sarah Millican, Russell Howard, yeah. Jack Whitehall, I used to get excited for. I used to get excited for the support act because I'd be like, oh, I don't know who the support act's going to be. There's a solid chance I'm never going to have heard of them, let alone. So I used to love that. But yeah. there is a moment when you become the support act and you walk out and you see, see like five or six rows of empty chairs. There are some people who, especially if on the website it's listed, X time the support act's on and then there'll be an interval. And then there are people who won't turn up until the main, they'll deliberately skip the support act. Right, so yeah. You can see people coming in like 15 minutes into your 20 minute set because they're like, oh, well, it doesn't matter if we're late, there's a support act on. Which I, I think is the wrong attitude because I'm like you, I love comedy, I like to see them, but I think it's grossly unfair that because, because you're there for oh, the whole night. Exactly. And it, it's definitely a good thing as a comedian to learn. You're like, cool, they have booked to see someone else, but you are going to go out there and you are going to win over however many hundred new fans you are going to they're going to go home and they're going to go yeah. yeah x was really good yeah, god yeah, wasn't yeah. the support i can he like god that guys and it's i think it's a really good skill to learn like definitely and as well that comic is trusting you with their audience like so you've got this real sort of not pressure i don't think it's pressure but especially when it's one of like catherine's caliber yeah. she's got like this amazing loyal audience and she's essentially saying i trust that they're gonna like you and that you're gonna be good with them so you're like but yeah like why wouldn't i want to do my best and why wouldn't i want some of your fans to become my fans like yeah, absolutely yeah. one of the one of the reasons why i write the blog is that very thing i i, I love to watch comedians develop um i first saw harry hill yeah must have been 30 years ago in a tiny club in well i saw him downstairs at the king's head 30 years ago before he was famous i saw i saw peter k before he was famous in a tiny club in manchester i saw michael mcintyre at edinburgh um and it's wonderful there's so many others but it's wonderful watching them develop and seeing how far they want to go exactly i'm like that with uh, chris ramsey yeah i remember going one. to see somebody else in and he was splitting in Edinburgh like an Edinburgh preview with another comic and the other comic was Chris Ramsey yeah. and I'd gone to see the other comic but I left and I remember putting on Facebook that night I was like I've just seen this comic called Chris Ramsey and he's going to be massive that was 2009 maybe or 2010 so yeah. a good like decade ago and then suddenly I would find if I saw Chris Ramsey was coming to Newcastle I would book to see him and I went from seeing him at like a tiny little theatre in Newcastle to suddenly like the stand, the comedy club. Like, so we went from a little theatre to like a purpose-built comedy club. And then it would be um, the Northern Stage, which is like a bigger theatre. And then it was Theatre Royal, which is our like yeah. main theatre. And it was City Hall, which is like bigger again. And then it was the arena. And I think there's something so lovely about like watching someone from, he was already like sort of well-known and on telly when I first saw him, but he was no way of like where he is now. Yeah. And there's just something lovely about when you care about like comedy so much, oh, watching someone's career grow, like literally every time yeah. 
ticket, you're buying a ticket for a big event, a venue, and you're like, good for them, like, good yeah. for them. And I think that's why, not just as like a like an audience member, but as a comic, yeah. I love it. Come and see me, who've like, there's someone who comes to see me in Edinburgh, who saw me when I was doing the free fringe yeah. in a pub and had like two audience members. Yeah. And they've come to see me like every year. I'm like, well, that's so lovely to like Brilliant. be in a position where you know that people are backing you and yeah. Well, you're making those two people, two or three people that are coming to see you have a joyous time. It doesn't matter how many number yeah. there is. And, and um, another thing was uh, the other day, well, the other month or so, I, I received a, tw a, a tweet from um, Alan Davis, which I couldn't believe saying, I've just read oh, you, I've just read your blog. Uh, I don't specifically remember those uh, uh, gigs that you mentioned, but it was it was delightful that that I went through that, and he was really positive. And I thought to myself, it's amazing that somebody is re is, is you know somebody's somebody that big is picking up on this, and and everybody has to start somewhere, you know. Yeah. Um, thing I think, like as a comic, will help you've worked and how much effort you've put in and you know retrospectively mm. how you felt in them little gigs when you're like oh god like i yeah. hope people are enjoying it i hope people come back and see us yeah. so then especially like when it's years line and someone messages you and says i was at when you gigged in the flying pig and whistle in insert name of generic town here and yeah. i knew you'd be like successful <laughs> exactly, and i've followed you ever yeah. since and you go oh my god it's all worth it it was like and it just makes you feel so good to know all those times you were stressed and worried of in these smaller gigs of like god is anyone even enjoying this like do people like what i do then years later people will get in touch with you from them little gigs and you're like yes it, it was i was doing the right thing all pays off <laughs> yeah exactly um who are, who are your favorite comedians past and present Mm, I love Billy Connolly. I got to see Billy Connolly's High Horse tour oh, in Newcastle with me dad, which I think we both was probably the last time. It was me for me. It was my first time getting to see him, but I knew it would be the last. So I loved that. Um, but like when I think of people who inspired me in comedy, I loved Russell Howard. Yeah. Because sort of like up live at the Apollo was in this like sort of hate. I was like a teenager, and I remember watching Russell Howard on stage, and I was like. He's just having so much fun. Like you can tell watching him how much he loves. I know. Dog wants a kiss. Thank you. <laughs> get back to the podcast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hello, Hello, Ralph. In the oh, more kisses. <laughs> more kisses. There we go. He just wanted to remind. Me. <laughs> but um, yeah, Russell just having such a lovely time, and I was like, well that's like joyous to watch and that's how i feel when i perform so love and i got a gig with russell for the first time in the summer um oh, it's some like social distance gigs at Battersea. and i felt like a teenager because i thought god I, I had your posters on my wall like i look up i literally like idolized them like went and saw all these shows like and it wasn't like one of these weird like fangirly like generally just as a comedian i thought you were just so brilliant yeah and um, so i loved him i loved sarah millican and Catherine ryan like absolutely love love both of them for like very different reasons as yeah. well like um love them and there's then like i don't want to say like the, the lesser known comics because i think that's doing them a disservice but obviously it's easy to point to like the tv comics you look up to but then when i started 
vegan on the circuit, people like Laura Lex. Brilliant. Like, I remember, like, meeting and working with Laura for the first time, and I was like, you are incredible. Like, and she's obviously so much more than an MC, like, but yeah. she does a lot of MCing. Yeah. She's a wonderful comic in every respect. But I was doing, like, this really, like, not very nice gig with her. Um, but just her being there made me feel so much more relaxed as an act. And I was like, you know what? I can't remember what gig it was. Maybe it was, like, a bloody jungler or something like that. Um, or whatever junglers became. So I think I knew it was going to be not maybe the nicest of gigs, but just the fact Laura, I saw Laura's name on the lineup, I was like, but it's not going to be awful because Laura will make it as awful as possible. And then you sit and watch her on stage and like, she just, I said to her, I went, you're the perfect example of like, it, I don't want to say you like mother the crowd. No, I went, but you're like a cool auntie on stage because you can fuck about with everybody and you know, we're all having a laugh. But the second someone crosses the line or like someone's chatting or someone's being disrespectful, you're like, oh, darling. Oh, no, that's not gonna. So she can really like shoot people down and take back control of the room, yeah. but not in an aggressive way. Just exactly, yeah. beautifully yeah. like. No, 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 that's not going to happen, is it, babe? No, I've got the mic, you don't have... And I, like, I love... She's one of the people who, if I see she's on a lineup, I'm like, I don't care if the gig's bad because I'm getting to work with Laura. Like... Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There are, there are comedians that... Um... Uh, you, I feel like that. I think, I think, oh, if Sunsa's on a bill, I'm gonna have a great time, and invariably I do. Um, when oh. you, when you, when you were talking about Russell Howard, it, it, it was funny because uh, I first saw him at the Edinburgh Fringe the year he took off, and uh, I saw him oh, yeah. do ten minutes for BBC Comedy Presents, and he was just this wild thing running around, and I thought I'll go and see the hour-long yeah. show. And I and I just bought a brand new mobile phone, and I'm sitting getting ready for him to come on, and my phone goes off as he just straight straight away as he comes mm -hmm. up, and I couldn't switch it off, so I became the butt of the joke for about the first ten minutes until I could switch the flaming <laughs> thing off. But he was brilliant interacting with the audience, and I thought he's going to get angry in a minute because this thing's not going to stop. But he was wonderful. He, he really. Um, yeah. made comedy out of anything and I think that's the sign of a great comic that's why I love Ross Noble as well yeah, yeah. like I would often go and see Ross Noble with my dad when I was sort of like 17 and just like someone would cough in the eighth row and he would do 20 minutes about it like <laughs> he's just got such an amazing I could never do that kind of myself. I don't have the brain for it but I think watching Ross is just watching a masterclass in comedy it really is Brilliant. like yeah. But he, he ties it all back together. Comments where something will happen and they'll go off on a riff about it. But you think, oh, but they never came back to the bit they were doing. But Ross has got like nine plates spinning at once. And every single one of those threads will be tied up and every joke will get finished. And I'm like, mate, your brain is amazing. Wow. <laughs> no, he is. He is. He is. Um, like me, before you... Before you were a comedian, did you go to a lot of comedy gigs as a member of the audience? So many. I've got all my tickets from about 2010, maybe. Wow. I've ticked like a in City Hall. And there's like this one phase where it must have been where things like Apollo were really sort of big. And, you know, the kind of golden years where someone would be on Apollo and their tour would sell out, like that sort of thing. And I think there was one month. And I must have been maybe about like 16, 17. And I went to see like Peter Kay, um, John Bishop, John Richardson, yeah. Sarah Milliken, Rod Gilbert, like all amazing comments, but all within the space of like a couple of months of each other and stuff. And 
I went to see so much comedy Can't because get enough of it once like, you I, got I just love. Oh, definitely. And like, even before, like, because obviously I'd done my first sort of gig at this point, like in a very loose term, I'd done it at the youth theatre, but I wasn't performing stand up properly. But I just knew I loved this world. And I was like, I, so a lot of my mates would maybe prefer to save up for like a holiday or maybe they'd want to go to like a music gig or something. I'd be like, nah, I'm, I was like the weird kid who just wanted to see so much comedy <laughs> great, great minds we are great minds i'm exactly the same i i i have a giant spreadsheet of every act i've ever seen since the 70s yeah it's extraordinary my favorite about the edinburgh festival isn't like doing my own show it isn't even seeing all my friends it isn't even drinking till 5 a.m <laughs> it's making my of shows that I want to go and see. Oh, I love it. I, 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 love it. I cannot get enough of it. I tell you, it's great. The, re the reason why I asked those last two questions was that in my blog, there's a section called the ones that got away and, the, and I've listed 25 comedians who have either passed on or I just haven't had a chance to see. And I'd love to, I'd love to have seen them. And because every one of them has got so many memories for me, every, every act when I go, it's great. For me, it's Joan Rivers. Joan oh, Rivers is the I one that happened. I saw her seen. at Edinburgh. She was amazing. I would have killed to see her live. I love, I think yeah. I was watching her. It might have been her Apollo set. Yeah. And I was like, I, especially if I am now, I yeah. think maybe I would, I would have enjoyed it when I was younger. But I think now I would really, really appreciate that kind of comedy. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of Catherine Ryan in in her uh, her act as well for Joan Rivers. It's the it's the bitchiness that she, that's very understated. <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, just before we go, is there anything else you'd like to say? Are you doing any online gigs? Have you written any shows, or have you got anything planned? Where can folk find you on social media? I'm on Twitter at Lauren Patterson and that tends to be where I'll sort of share any online gigs I'm doing and stuff. I've got real gigs back in the diary. Wow. Isn't that exciting? Well I've seen you I've seen <laughs> so, you many times at Always Be Comedy online and I'd love to see and live uh, um, but I'd love to see you again live soon I really would. So they've started like trickling back in yeah. so what I tend to do is I've got like website which is lauren-patterson.com and i'm going to put the real gigs back on there but my rule is i'm not putting them obviously i know this will go out after this but until that bloody date in june has passed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah because it's just been awful it's been weird any real gigs back in the diary and i was like i have but i'm not sharing them publicly just yet but um so that should be I, I keep like and i've got like a facebook page which is lauren patterson comedy and again, right. I put all like me real gigs up on there, and I yeah. tend to keep quite top of it because I like people to come and please. Of course, of course. Well, I will be one of them. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. It's been absolutely wonderful, and I wish you every success. I really do. Thank, thank you so much. I find this lovely because my dog has just took a shit at the door. So that's. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what a lovely way to end the interview. <laughs> All the best to you. Thank you so much. Well, 